kingdom, okay? The kingdom of God. Um, you know, it's interesting. When I first met the Lord, I was taught um, that the kingdom of God was in suspended animation. It was in holding pattern because Jesus came to bring the kingdom and got rejected. You know, dispensationalism. Um, I've since learned differently. <laughs> no offense to those who disagree. You're free to disagree with me. It's okay. We're still brothers. But um, that was a shift for me. Uh, it came through largely the vineyard movement. Mm -hmm. and um, But there was a guy even behind the scenes in that, and, and I think you bumped into that whole understanding long before I did. Tell us about it. Well, uh, years ago, I was pastoring in Northern California in a small town just south of Redding, mm -hmm. and a young man was pastoring a church in Weaverville, west of Redding. We met, became friends. His father was the pastor of Bethel Church, he went to his dad and asked if we could do a Bible school. You know, two young pastors, all kinds of ideas. But we began to read Eldon Ladd's book on the kingdom. George Eldon Ladd, yeah. George Eldon Ladd. Yeah. And so um, it was a, I think it would be a big shock for most pastors just to accept the fact that the central theme of the New Testament is not the local church. Yeah but it's the kingdom of God. Right. So when we say kingdom, it's the rule of God. We're carriers of that. You walk into a chaotic situation and you bring peace. Right. You bring the kingdom. Every time someone prays, ask God into their life, it's an expansion, extension of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Kingdom rule and reign. Jesus preached it. Right. The kingdom of heaven is at hand as close as your hand right. is the kingdom. It's not ethereal, it's not out there where you can't find it. We are in the kingdom. In fact, here's an interesting challenge, that the kingdom births the church. The church came out of the kingdom, not the kingdom necessarily out of the church. Yeah, explain that a little bit, because that can be confusing for some. What's the distinctions between church and kingdom? Well, there's so much in the church rely, relying on the traditions of the past. Mm -hmm. So the message of the kingdom superimposes that. For example, um, leading someone to Christ in a different culture, you may not be able to put them in a church in a different culture because they don't do church the way we do. Right. But what you've done is you've extended the kingdom, which is God's rule in a situation. God's rule in a society, God's rule in a home, God's rule in a family, God's rule in a business. So kingdom is bigger than the local church. So you're saying that maybe the church could be more the, the cultural expression in a certain community. Like, you know, we've both been to Africa, and you, you've told the story how, you know, you go to the town and they say, we're going to start church, and you ask them, well, when are we start? And he says, when everybody gets here. That's right. Yeah, and when, when's it over? When everybody leaves? It's That's like, right. you know, we don't have our set programs. It's an agricultural style. You know, in China, totally different ball game. We don't meet on Sundays because you can't. Don't have a building because right. you're not allowed to. Right. So we did a lot of home meetings, um, field meetings. People just gather spontaneous because Holy Spirit's called them together. So um, the different expressions for the, ex for the expression of the church. But the kingdom, king, like you said, is a superimposing of that. It's the... Uh, the, the spiritual force that's been moving through generations. Yeah, it's uh, 
kind of the Star Wars, you know, may the force be with you. Um, We're not new age, by the way. That's right. It's just, just, just the, the same. Um, <laughs> the idea that the Western church has a limited definition. So, for example, uh, as I was understanding the power of the kingdom, I remember a, a pastor's meeting that was in, and um, one of the pastors, we were talking, he said, well, Gary, where's your church? I went off the rail a little bit, and I said, well, right now it's driving cab, it's uh, raising children, it's working in the mill outside of town, and he understand understood, the light went on, oh, the church is not in that place. The church is wherever kingdom people are. Well, you've used the, the phrase the church gathered and the church scattered. So talk about that. That's a, that's a good example of what you're talking about here. Well, good I feel phrase. like the, the Western church model leaves us with a bunch of unemployed soldiers. Okay. Their churchianity is connected to Sunday morning, the gathering, and then the lunch at the buffet, buffet afterwards. But they go back to work. They go back to their family. What we're suggesting is that's as much kingdom as that gathering. Right. So when we're scattered, put out in the world, we're in the world but not of it. it our little tentacles as they reach the, our culture, our circle of friends, our family, our neighborhood, that's the kingdom moving in. Right. And it's not, it's not just a form. It's a powerful message of the kingdom. And then add to that, Jesus proclaimed the message of the kingdom, but he also demonstrated the kingdom by healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, walking on water, raising from the dead himself. So the kingdom is the bigger picture. What if you find another culture that don't meet in buildings? Right. Have never met in a building. If you were to ask them where the church is, I did that. Mm -hmm. it, was like, it was a group who met outside of this small town. We were outside of town under this huge tree. And I asked the question, what's the first thing that comes to mind? By word association, when I mentioned the word church, and one guy said, tree. <laughs> So um, that's where they met, right? We laugh because we have kingdom meetings at the, at the local St. Arbucks, you know, mm -hmm. and guys having coffee, talking about Jesus, people eavesdropping on their conversation. That's the ministry of the kingdom, laying hands on the sick in the street, on the streets. That's the ministry of the kingdom. We were sharing some testimonies, a, a trip I was just telling you about, and uh, a lot of them re revolved around the meal in a restaurant and uh, one person was sharing there was so much joy and laughter that everybody in the restaurant was drawn to it exactly and and ministry started breaking out I mean the kingdom broke out the church had gathered in a restaurant and was sharing the testimony they were being the church and uh, kingdom happened well I, I one of our one of our groups used to meet in an out the outdoor patio of a restaurant and had their gatherings meetings meals and they began the practice of having communion in the meal. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the guys asked the waitress if she'd like to join them for communion. She did, and she kept coming back. Right. 
people in the restaurant scooted their chairs over and they were being prayed for. It was like an explosion of the kingdom of God in a common restaurant. Right. So the power of God, the, the, the dunamis of God gets expressed and released when we believe that you're not, you're not just a, you know, it used to be an idea of a Sunday go to meeting Christian. Well, welcome to the kingdom. It's, right. it's everywhere and every place. Yeah. So in case you didn't know, didn't figure out that the young man that Bill, or Gary was meeting with back in the day was Bill Johnson. Couple young guys who uh, were hungry. What, what was it about that that time when you guys, these two young guys, were excited about the kingdom? What, what gripped you about that? What, what were those initial things that you read in that book or that you guys discussed? Well, it was a breakout. We realized that by reading uh, about the kingdom succinctly in Lad's book, gave us ideas of how to be the church. And we found out the church wasn't the school. The school wasn't the church. Mm -hmm. We could meet anywhere. We began to experiment with having our classes in other places. Right. I remember when we did a school in San Francisco, we'd meet in the, a room where we'd rented or leased, and then we'd go to this restaurant for lunch, and we kept going, and it kept getting longer, and then a couple of times we went to the restaurant and never came back. <laughs> Just like they're better. Yeah, uh, so, so it, go ahead. <clears throat> I think the natural <clears throat> expression of a family. A family is a good prototype of the church mm -hmm. in the kingdom. The house is filled with laughter. You eat together. You watch TV together. You snuggle. Yeah. You kiss each other goodnight. You tuck each other in bed. You get up next morning. Lay out the school clothes pack the lunch it's a it's a whole lifestyle yeah, yeah. and so when you talk about living the kingdom life it's not going to a building it's right. it's living it's living in community the christian lifestyle knowing each other's kids you know that the, the trip i was telling about i just came back from we had a delightful service. we were there for a weekend and many of the people kept coming back to the meetings we had but then we also had meals together we met afterwards and you just made friends with these people you got to know their lives you got to know about their kids you know, there's this bonding that was going on, and uh, we, my friend and I went there. We just stepped into this. This community is already developing, and uh, I, again, to your point, it's family. It's first and foremost. You want to define the church. You know, the Bible uses the word bride, family. To me, those are two key ones that show the intimacy and the connection that happens within a church. Yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think we've all got it yet. Personally, I believe. A kingdom outpouring mm -hmm. can break out in a community, in a in a gathering place, and yet it's kind of like they're released. It's kind of like, for me, it's what happened after the Lord's Supper, an intimate meal in an upper room, and then they came out of the room, were overheard speaking in languages of the gatherers in the city of Jerusalem mm -hmm. for Passover, and they were accused of being drunk, and Peter said, no, they're not drunk. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's a few of those instances. That's right. But, you know, and um, I think the big thing for a local pastor is that we're talking about the kind of experimentations that require a risk. Well, that, that's where I wanted to ask you next. So, 
And th let me address the one thing here. I know you agree with me on this. Just to emphasize, we're not against Sundays. We think Sunday's a wonderful time to gather. Buildings are, are a beautiful thing to have. It's great to gather with the church and worship and celebrate. Nothing wrong with hearing a good sermon, the teaching, the preaching of the Word of God, the things that happen on a typical Sunday. But kingdom changes that in a sense. Where, and that's why I want you to address how, how does that, how should that change our thinking? We're seeing more kingdom. Does that affect the Sunday service? Well, I believe it has to. Okay. Uh, for example, it's like, um, it's like believing something without doing something. So we listen, you know, um, the, the cultural statistic is that 80% of all the income of a local church is spent on the flagship Sunday morning gathering. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking outside behind that. How do I equip them for their family? How do I equip them for their life? How do I equip them for their job? How do I equip them for the culture? And so there's a theme that leaks through so that we're not just sitting and listening. The biggest thing for me, Mike, the biggest thing was getting the church talking. Mm. Wasn't going to a lecture hall, being mesmerized by a sermon, even as good as they might be, but get the church interacting, get the church doing kingdom. For example, praying for the sick in the middle of the meeting, having some testimonies in the middle of the meeting, asking the congregation what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then, if you, if you really want to start experiment, guys have gradually changed the furniture, the setup of the meeting. Mm -hmm. Put people in small groups. Put people in in more of a interactive mode. Right. The pastors walking among the people, talking. So it's a different lifestyle. You know, one of the most important things I, I learned from you, Gary, that's very helpful is the uh, the Hebrew. Um, categories of different numbers gatherings tens fifties hundreds yeah because i think that's really important to understand that it's um we tend to want we think bigger is better in the west and it can be nothing wrong with a large gathering i know some of our guys out there that were teaching gifts are thinking i can't do this this is my whole ministry i love teaching and we're not saying stop just realize that there are different dynamics that people need to learn at different levels and maybe yours needs to be in a certain way but there are other people can get involved in different styles of teaching right so talk on that for a second when you discovered the difference the importance well, of the difference between size in exodus eighteen twenty one, jethro moses's father-in-law not jethro the beverly hillbillies oh, no. No, no okay different jethro different jethro but he he commended joseph i mean moses but he also warned him that he's going to wear out as all the people got in this long queue and came to him for counsel and yeah. whatever so he said, break Which every, every megachurch pastor knows. Exactly. exactly. So break everybody up in groups of 10. The Hebrew word is Aserot. In the 10 group, everybody in the group is focused on. You have enough time during that group meeting that you could connect with everyone. Like some of the Zoom calls you do. You yeah. found the magic numbers like six, five or six even. Right, right. Where everybody can participate. Yeah. And at some point, let me, let me be speak to these teachers. I've been a teacher since I was a mm -hmm. teenager. I was a Bible college professor. Let me suggest to you that lecturing people is not the best form of communication. 
So in that 10 group, everybody talks. Then you have the medium-sized group of 50, or it could be five groups of 10. Uh, the Kamashin, an outreach, a bunch of small groups get together and go to the beach, go to the, go to the local fair, go to the farmer's market. Celebration gatherings, yeah. And, um, and then the Mayot, which is the larger gathering of 100, whatever, you know, between 50 and 100, and that requires uh, a lecture, uh, more centralized leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and it's like doing church in all those ways. It's because people need everything. They need the good teaching. Yeah. They they need the opportunity to go out in the groups of fifty to the beach, celebrate, and they need the small groups where you know we like to call the one another's take place, where you can bear your heart. You know, where are you doing that at? To me, that's one of the qualifications of what a church is. An effective church, right? Just walking in on Sunday, we all know we can walk in, sit in the back, and walk out. And maybe the greeter, the, the host or the greeter says hi, and they give you a gift. But no one's really gotten to know your name beyond that. But you walk into a, a home group, right? And uh, you know it's it's a little more intimidating because you know someone's going to get them ask your name, but you're also going to step out more, have an opportunity to be who you are and get to be known. Yeah, and even to experiment with gatherings in public places, right? Uh, it's a sad, it, it's, I don't even know the exact way they figured it out, but they're suggesting that less than 5% of the, of the church, less than 5% of Christians have ever led someone to Christ. So we talk about the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. What are you making disciples unto? Are you making disciple listeners? Are you making disciple shh, quieters, you know? Or are you making disciples, and one thing is disciples do is they live like their disciple maker. Right. So this goes way back. I remember asking a pastor and told him, I was suggesting that the only thing Jesus told us to do was make disciples and have communion. Right. And so I asked him, I said, uh, how are you making disciples? And he went the regular way, the regular pitch of a local pastor. Oh, I've got 100 in this service and 200 in this service. And no, I said, no, no, no. Who are you making disciples of? Give me the name in the local Starbucks that you meet at weekly. Give me the young guy that you've entered into his home to help mm -hmm. mentor him. Disciple make him. Um, help him raise his kids, speaking to his well, marriage. Yeah, guys, this that. isn't rocket science. Why did Jesus choose 12? Right. He lived with 12 for three years. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much, how many influence, how much influence I've had by preaching sermons, and literally I've preached all over the world. But I do know people that I've discipled mm -hmm. who are living their life. One of the reasons why they're living a certain way is they spent time with me. Yeah, I'm one of them. Yeah. So the kingdom is that bigger expression yeah the kingdom of god i probably had a theological bent that the kingdom of god and the kingdom of heaven were the same thing or in other words we'll get to the kingdom when we get to the kingdom of heaven right but the kingdom of god is now it's, now. it's present exactly it's all over the world it permeates the world jesus breaking through in cultures and societies Amen. As we wrap this up, Gary, just um, this thought's occurring to me that it would be good to, um, I, I want to promote again the opportunity 
for some hands-on training, equipping, mentoring, because it, it's a skill set. It's, 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 it's a process learning to shift out of one way of doing ministry and at least experimenting with some others. And I even, you even wrote a manual on small groups that's been out and, uh, and uh, taught in other places. And see, I think that's a great place to even, you know, like I've seen you preach, you're a great preacher, but how, how to get into a small group, and it's, it's an art to get other people to open up. It's an mm -hmm. art to get people to start talking. So just give us a little tidbit what some of your thoughts are on that and, and uh, with an invitation to people out there. If you want to know how to do this, you're curious, or you'd like some uh, information on that, you know, again, you can go to our website, permissionministries.com. Just ask us, how can you get some help? But I uh, just want Gary to give you a little teaser, appetizer, what some of the information is that we've been giving you. Well, even the idea, it's been said that most pastors can't do small groups because they overlead and overfeed. Okay. So the first thing you do, pastor, I'm sorry, Lay your sermons aside. Lay your eight-point message aside. Your four-points message aside. Gather with a group of guys around a cup of coffee, and it's not your voice that's the main sound in the room. And one of the, one of the talents or gifts of leading people is to make contact with them. Mm-hmm. So it means stopping the group and saying, what, what are you thinking, Mike? And calling people out to the next place. I have done these mentoring groups for years, and let me explain the word mentoring. A mentoring group simply has a designated mentor, and he or she are a mentor because of one reason. They're farther up the mountain you're trying to climb. So it's not the Bible answer man, but it's someone leading the discussion you pick a verse and you give a background to it, and then you begin to ask questions that require more than a yes or no answer. Right. And you're and the race is on. Right. You 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 know it's all kind of squeaky, and you have those pregnant pauses, and one guy breaks in, then another guy breaks in, and then you you know an hour later you have to bring them back. Right. You know, you're right. done. See, I understand that. I've I've, I've I think. That the goal of a teacher is I got to get through my my notes I've got to get all this information out or I haven't fulfilled my job and what you're saying is the goal changes where my goal is to get the other person to talk to get them to find out where they're at and then maybe answer their questions right it's, it's a mutual mentoring I'm mentored by them hmm. as well as me mentoring them right. and we're you know we've been on zooms like the rest of you guys for years now and uh, it still works. The book I wrote, Where Would Jesus Lead, is a, is a book to be digested and I deal with the numbers, the size of a group, how the dynamic changes, and that discipleship probably at the end of the day is best experience one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. Yeah, yeah. It's that community interchange. The early church, they met in homes. They met in the temple too. Sure. So there was there was opportunity for the apostles to preach, teach. They gathered for worship in larger groups, but they also met house to house. They broke bread together, which, as you know, when you when you don't eat with your enemies, you eat with friends. Exactly. And when you eat together, you begin to make friends. So we've got to get back to family. Uh, the kingdom of God has a father in it, and it has children, and that's who we are. That's it. Great, thanks. Great talk. Got it, man.